Hey guys, Matt Gurney here, Jen Gerson with me. The last episode of The Line Podcast for 2023, where we mainly look at each other and go, wow, that year was weird. All that and a little bit more on this latest episode of The Line Podcast. What do you want to talk about? Um, I think we got to start with the UN. Do we? I'm afraid it, yeah, you're we right. have no choice. We have yeah. no choice in this matter. Our will has been taken way. from us, screaming from our mouths. Um, so this week, the UN held a non-binding resolution at the General Assembly that essentially called for a ceasefire. There has been much noise, little sound on the subject. Um, essentially, the, the motion itself, I, I don't think it's wrong to say that it was not exactly pro-Israel here. There wasn't much talk about, how should I say this? I'll pull up the actual motion, but it, essentially it's, it, it's, it's, it's anti-Israel. It's, it is, it's anti, it, it's anti-Israel. Yeah. yeah. It, gets, it takes a team here. This is not like we're calling for a two-sided peace. This is very much a Israel stop bombing Gaza. Despite the fact that we, as we know, there are still several hundred hostages in Gaza um, there doesn't really seem to be much onus on Hamas to lay down its arms here. Uh, and this, you, I guess... If you read the text of the motion, Jen, it basically, you would have no idea that Israel not did not just wake up one day and decide to go flatten Gaza. Yeah, essentially, like, yeah. The motion there, is no, like, wow, look no... what the Jews are doing to Gaza. For a group that consistently calls for context, there is a, there's a notable lack thereof in this motion. So that's fine. I don't really want to spend too much time talking about the UN politics and UN motions because bluntly the only thing that is important for our sake is what this is signaling domestically. Frankly, a non-binding UN motion for a ceasefire is completely meaningless. That that doesn't it's not going to force Israel's hand, it's not going to change anything, it's not going to change the metrics on the ground for Israel. It's an entirely predictable kind of um, answer, especially from Anglo countries that have nothing to lose by demanding it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's so easy for Australia or New Zealand or Canada to call for a ceasefire because we will never actually have to deal with the consequences of that ceasefire. We're not on the ground. None of this affects us really in any way. That's like and the countries also, that declared war on Germany in like February of 1945. Sure. Just like, yeah. well, yeah, you know, we we see, we, we declare war too. We're part of the allies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. sure. And the other thing too is it's, um, the other observation that I would make about it is it's not... Canada itself knows that this is kind of bullshit, that this is a bit of a steam blowing off exercise. And you can tell that by Bob Ray, who got caught on a hot mic, basically, after he issued his vote, was like, well, we'll see how that goes down. I mean, Canada remains committed to the goal of a comprehensive, a just and a lasting peace in the Middle East, including the creation of a Palestinian state living side by side in peace and security with the state of Israel. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. I thank the distinguished representative of Canada. I now give a floor to distinguished representative of Iceland. See how that flies. 
he, he laughed. I mean, this is, this is, this is, like I said, the UN has a couple of roles to play in geopolitics. One of the most obvious one is that it's a really good place for nations and particularly Arab nations to blow off steam about Israel. I think I counted. There have been something like 80 resolutions at the General Assembly with regards to Israel, and I think 226 um, resolutions at the Security Council with regards to Israel. This is, at this point, the geopolitical equivalent of showing up in colors for your favorite sports team because fighting over who did what on the football field keeps us all from killing each other, smashing our heads against the ground and feasting upon the goo of our, the gooey brains of our enemies. Yeah, go let's uh, go. That's, you know, to that, to that end, I have no particular issue with the UN as a, I should say this, uh, emotional management exercise and probably thinks it, it does, it does some good in this regard. And if, Hey, I know there's a lot of deeply felt feelings about Palestine out there and there's a lot of anger. And if channeling that rage into a UN vote makes you feel accomplished, like you're getting something done and you're getting movement, you're being heard. That's positive. Like, I mean, like that's a positive end. Okay. But at the same time, I don't, I also am able to see a UN vote of this nature for exactly what it is. That's all it is. Um, Matt, why do you think Canada voted in favor of the ceasefire with this motion? Uh, um, two reasons. One okay. of them is a direct follow on to what you were just saying there. You're describing it as emotions management. I would describe it a little bit different. Um, the UN, which we started after the Second World War with such lofty aspirations, has morphed into a way that uh, countries of, of all different kinds, very much including the Western democracies, it is a safe space to signal. Yeah. That's right. And when um, when there's something, you know, you need to comment on, but you don't really want to do anything about, you can raise it at the UN mm-hmm. and you, you you do it knowing full well you get the, the value of having raised it at the UN, but it doesn't, doesn't cost anything, doesn't do anything, it doesn't actually require you to, to, to think or do or, or mean anything. So the UN is a safe space to virtue signal. Um, the other comment that I would actually make though, and I think it's very much, uh, it's, it's not a direct answer to your question about the UN, but it's, it's my analysis of what the situation that the liberals are in. They have, this is what happens because I want to add add a bit of context in. It's not just that we voted for the the motion at the UN. Mm -hmm. It was that hours before. Canada, Australia, and New Zealand had released that joint statement you referred to, mm-hmm. which, and I thought the joint statement was fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I disagree, probably disagree with it, but I think it was fine. It was calling for a ceasefire and a sustainable peace with conditions. Sure. Like, yeah. a, another way that you could phrase the Australian, Canadian, um, New Zealander statement was a call for Hamas's surrender. Sure. And, okay. And then after the UN vote, Melanie Jolie came out and gave a statement, and she used the word ceasefire repeatedly, but she also referred to the things that were in the original statement, but not in the UN resolution. Right. So what we have- After the UN resolution, there was also a Melanie Jolie tweet that was just like, well, you know, our our idea of a ceasefire is like- she's reframing the concept of a ceasefire so that it can mean whatever she wants it to mean, according to the audience that she's speaking to. Bingo. Yeah. So within- a day, a matter of hours, we had a 
condi- a call effectively for a, a, a conditional ceasefire premised on the surrender of Hamas and the release of the hostages. We had a UN vote that was none of those things. This is an Israel bash. We had a Melanie Jolie tweet that basically exists in a world where words don't mean things. And then we had a Melanie Jolie press conference where she was trying to portray the UN vote effectively as if it were an extension of the Canadian, Australian, and New New Zealand statement. Well, having called for a conditional ceasefire, we, of course, felt moved to vote for the unconditional. It doesn't make any fucking sense. But what it all, to me, when you look at all four of these things and you combine them, this is what happens when your foreign policy has no principle and it has nothing but electoral calculation. Well, this like, gets the electoral calculation. There are a lot of people, and even Rika Welsh from the Globe, God bless her, asked Julie directly, is the reason why you're voting for this ceasefire, which is a departure from Canadian norms, the fact that you're just afraid to piss off Muslim voters and donors, of whom there are significant numbers in Canada. Muslims wildly outnumber Canada. I think the latest number for Muslims in Canada is no what? Jews. One, it, no Jews. number Jews in Canada. Oh, number Jews in yeah. Canada. I apologize. Um, what's I think what's the number? Is it's one point four million? How many? I don't remember offhand, but it's Muslims. it ain't close. It's it's yeah. It's oh uh oh. It's actually one point seven. One point seven seven five million in Canada. One about a million of them are in Ontario. This is according to Wikipedia. So of course, right in the very nine hundred five writings that we know the liberals will need to hold on to in the next election should they hope to survive. Um, and then let's compare that. How many Jewish people, Canada? Uh, 400,000. So, well, it's more than you thought, but I mean, the number, the, 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 the yeah, I can, okay, I can do the math. The number, the number, calc- the, the, the disparity is what it is. Um, so I'm not, but I am not even sure that I'm quite that cynical. Oh, I am. No, this is. Are you this? Are you that cynical? I'm oh, not no. sure. I share that cynicism. Oh, I actually when... suspect that this is that this is more. I'm trying to please multiple different types of progressives who are all over the map on this in my base, and I'm trying to weave an impossible or thread an impossible needle, and I'm doing it by just sort of saying I believe in a ceasefire. But then when I get challenged by a more um, pro-Israel side of this conversation, it's a I'm a ceasefire with conditions, but then when I'm in front of my more activist base, of course we voted for the ceasefire without conditions. Yeah, without yeah. This is this is very quintessential politics politics talking out of both sides of their mouths, depending on whom they're talking to. But I don't necessarily think that it is so ruthlessly predicated solely on there are more Muslims than Jews in this country. Because also, the, Muslims aren't necessarily a monolith on this issue either, and it would be wrong to presume they are. Well, they're definitely not. No. Uh, if, talk to some of them. They definitely are not. Um, There's a wide range of views on on, on, on this um, in the Muslim community. Many Canadian Muslims are here for a reason. They didn't want to mm-hmm. live in the Middle East anymore. Um, mm-hmm. The idea that they've just imported the problems of the Middle East whole cloth ain't, ain't true, if you know any of them. Um, I, I think there's um common ground. We'll use that expression that mm-hmm. kind of links my position on this to to yours. I think it starts from a place of having no actual principle on That's this right. yes on this issue where you kind of you're you're viewing everything through the lens of what will get us in the least amount of trouble. It's the mm-hmm. there no, no part of this is taking a brave stand in defense of a potentially unpopular position. Mm-hmm. And I've I've made this point before. I feel bad for the liberals on this one. The conservatives 
they're safe being pro-Israel, resolutely. The NDP, mm-hmm. they're safe being resolutely pro-Palestinian and calling for a ceasefire here. And those are both ethically valid, yes. lo- logically Absolutely. coherent positions to have. We at the line can tolerate a pretty wide yeah. view of 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 what of, of positions on Israel-Palestine. I know what mine are, but yeah, I can I look what, at someone I, I, else and go, yeah, okay. Yeah, but exactly, exactly. Like, I know what mine are, but I can look at someone else and be like, I think you're wrong and here's why, but I don't think that you're a bad I, person for holding that view. I wouldn't even bother explaining why. I would just smile. Uh, well, that's enough. great. But I'm saying- That's great. Know, but, but, but the liberals, the fault line goes right yes, through them. That's right. And they're all over the place. They have no room for principle. I'm not sure they have principles, even if they had room for them. I don't know if they have any. So what they're left with is a series of constantly evolving nothing statements to try and cover off every base here. And here's where I do get cynical. The electoral math will inevitably pull them in one direction. So even if it starts as an almost amoral maneuvering, trying to figure out a position that they can cover that will be either maximally politically beneficial or at least minimally politically harmful, the gravity, like in the absence of conviction of Israel's right to defend itself as a democracy and i'm not asking anybody to to hold that view but i'm saying if that is not the view you hold the electoral math of this will eventually pull you to the palestinian side because that's that's where the votes are yeah i think that that's probably true but what i think they're miscalculating here is that uh, the the weird shifting tone deaf back and forthness will hurt them with both sides because I think that if you're pro-Palestinian and you're seeing what Israel is doing as a genocide, seeing the flip-floppy back and forth mealy mouth response by the liberals is not going to appease you. And same side with Team Israel. Like if you're looking at this being yeah. like you're appeasing the terrorists, yep. you're not you're not seeing someone who's trying to give you a reasonable compromise. You're seeing someone who's siding with evil, right? Like the two the two positions on this are are radically polarized, and there isn't a lot of room for lunatics like us who actually try to try and maybe fail, but try to have a balanced understanding of both perspectives on this. People are falling really hard on one line and the other. And by being mealy mouthed on this, I think is, is uh, uh, that the liberals just wind up alienating literally everyone. No matter what, because, side I mean, even, is... even, even, even rather relatively measured people like us aren't impressed by this. Like... Well, two comments to that. First of all, even no matter what side of this issue you're on, you have ample evidence that the other guy wants to kill your kids. Mm-hmm. That's hard to hard to build bridges in that environment. Um, mm-hmm. The other the other comment I would make is that this I've often said of these liberals, and it's not just the liberals. Most other governments would be similar in, in a similar situation, but this is an optics first government. This is also a government that, more to the point, they their initial response to almost every issue is not how to deal with the issue. It's how to spin the issue. Mm -hmm. And I think that reflects who's left in the PMO versus Mm -hmm. who's departed the PMO. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the worst mistakes this government has made is when they have either failed to realize or have taken too long to realize that actually this isn't a communications problem. This is like an actual tangible reality problem. And they don't start from first principles and managing that problem. Bingo. Because well, or because their first principle is comms. Their first principle is comms. Yeah. But like, like you should start from a position of, okay, what actually is our stance on this? We have, we have comms. Yeah. And 
And, and why think... do we believe that? And what, what are our convictions on that stance? And then build your calm strategy out from that conviction. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't build a conviction back from a calm strategy. Sure That's do. what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sucks. We absolutely do strategy. do that. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm going to go, look, again, this is me picking on the liberals here, but the, Harper and his guys were similar. Because what we we've been living now for a while, eight years of Trudeau, um, t- almost ten years of Harper, about eighteen years, we've been living in the micro segmented era of politics, and mm-hmm. most of the time you can get away with it. Most of the time, the governments don't really run any particular risk taking a stand for or against a micro segmented issue, mm-hmm. because it's micro segment. Like you know, okay, so we. Only 4,000 people in six ridings care about this. So we're going to say something to them. And the other overwhelming percentage of the Canadian population is not going to pay any attention. They don't care. But we're going to win those 6,000 people. This is an issue you can't micro-segment. You, like, it just, it, you, and I think they're trying, right? Which is yeah. why, well, hey, we put out a statement with our allies today calling for the hostages to be released. And then, like, you know, that record scratching noise, Oh, hey, we voted at the UN for an unconditional ceasefire. Back to Melanie Jolie going, hey, well, you know, what does ceasefire even mean anyway? And then back to a different Melanie Jolie tweet saying, we Stanley oppose. The reflex for narrow, micro-targeted communications remains, even on an issue of such broad and existential interest that everybody is hanging on every goddamn word you say about it. Yeah, it doesn't work. And you just end up looking like an idiot. Speaking of micro-targeting, like and subscribe to the line, I think that we should talk about uh, what the fuck the conservatives are doing on the Ukraine stuff. Um, Can you explain this to me? Because no. I'm, I'm at a loss. No, like, I, I either think I either think that the conservatives have just totally internally screwed up on this. So just look at... So the, the conservatives, I think, again, voted against a free trade bill with Ukraine citing some nonsense sort of carbon tax language in it, yep. right? I think they doubled down like that on the, that again this week, although I'd need to get the specifics Oh, and, on and it. combined, they've been voting against like everything, just like they're like they're voting, at, 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 they're voting down or trying to every government uh, motion and bill. Right. Um, they're trying to code every motion and bill, and yet one of the motions and bills they have shut down has been the, the Ukraine Free Trade Act, which of course has allowed a lot of liberals to seize on the conservatives for like falling in line with weird right pro Putin propaganda was the clear insinuation of this. And I can tell you being out in Alberta, a lot of Ukrainians are very pissed at the conservatives right now for doing this. So they're, they're, they're playing games with free trade bills and just, it, it comes off as incredibly petulant, but also I'm not sure that it's clear what the motivation of this is. There are some people who have gone full on, they're trying to appease the base within their wing that is pro-Ukraine and wants and is perfectly happy to let Ukraine cleave Ukraine from the herd and let it let it leave it to pasture to die. Pro-Russian, not pro-Russia, yeah. pro-Russia, exactly. Um, and there are people I think who are a little bit more. This really sounds more like a cock up. Like maybe they just didn't think the implications of not of trying to vote everything down and this has just been weaponized. And then there are some people who I think who are a bit more. Um, you guys are letting your fixation with the carbon tax go to your heads and you're not thinking big picture. Yeah. And then there are a lot of people I think who are just who are observing that rightly that as much as we criticize the liberals for having no coherent or cogent foreign policy outlook, 
neither do the conservatives. And this is utterly am, uh, amplified in, in, in what they're doing right now with this free trade Ukraine stuff. So Matt, I, I don't know what's happening. I'm confused. Um, well, let me tell I mean, I'm going to I'll weigh in on what you said there, but let me just tell you quite literally what is happening. Poor Michael Chong is like for the third week in a row trying to tweet his way out of this, where oh, every day Chong. there's some new Michael Chong tweet explaining why the conservatives actually actually really fucking love Ukraine and Ukrainians. But you see, you have to understand if you if you knew why we'd really done the things we'd done, you know, <laughs> Part 438,291 in an ongoing series of tweets from Michael Chong trying to explain. If you're sending out Michael Chong week after week after week to explain what you're doing, you fucked up. And we can talk about why the fuck up happened, but I think we need to start the conversation with the conservatives fucked up. And, and did then, they purposely fuck up or did they accidentally I, well, look, fuck up? Yeah, you you gave three... You gave three scenarios. One of them is that this is a deliberate nudge, nudge, wink, wink at the pro uh, Putin faction of the far right, which has a presence in Canada. Mm -hmm. The second is that it was um, a failure to think through how monolithic opposition would play on specific issues. Mm -hmm. And the third is going sight blind a bit, I think, on uh, carbon tax stuff. Sure. Okay. I think my, you summarized my positions up much better than I did. So I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I'm an editor. <laughs> um, I think it's a combination of two and three. Okay. But I think it's going to feed back into one. Because mm. my sense of what happened here is that the conservatives are not thinking anything through these days. They, I mean, I was saying a minute ago, the, uh, the, the government views everything through a comms lens. I think the conservatives view everything through an attack lens. Mm -hmm. And I think they got themselves into trouble on this one. I think they're, pro if they're, I think like, so I start with your second suggestion that this is just sort of a monolithic opposition approach. That right, because they're part of engaging in a strategy to try and um, roll through the, yeah. the the house processes to keep the house going over Christmas. So they're just opposing Which everything. totally failed. Everybody's yeah. gone home now. But That's right. Which everybody knew it would. Because they weren't organized enough to actually do no, what that's they were trying correct. to do but they were just then going item by item by item and by item and opposing it opposing it opposing it without stopping to think jeez yeah. maybe this free trade with some ukraine bills when we don't want to be seen to be or the it. canadian military training mission with yeah for ukrainian forces um yeah. and then also on top of that so i think that was the first failure and there might have been an opportunity for an adult in the room to settle things down well, first of all, assuming there were adults in the room, which is not an assumption I grant the Conservative Party by default these days. But second, carbon tax was right in front of them, and that's like red yeah. to a bull, right? Yeah, like, they couldn't. So, they couldn't. So they just they just went for it. But I do I do not discount entirely the first thing you mentioned, which is that there are pro Putin, pro Russian elements of the far right. I don't I think like, that is driving the party, but I well, guarantee you there's going to be a few MPs who are going to send out stupid Facebook posts. A hundred percent. I mean, but here's the thing is that like how many pro Putin far right people in the base are there compared to angry Ukrainian farmers in the base and who's going to win that war? I, I put I think, my money yeah. on the Ukrainian farmers. Oh, I think, oh, they'll win the vote, but who's going to win the noisy social media war to an extent that I don't think people understand and we should never allow ourselves to forget 20 bots on facebook can scare mm. the shit out of your typical mp 
That's true. I mean, you we are also seeing like farmer Ukrainian diaspora or people in, in, in rural communities in Alberta, conservatives having to walk back a lot of these votes and try to explain to their largely Ukrainian diaspora constituents. No, 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 no. So like, I actually just think that if you're going to weigh the influence of the pro-Putin far right versus the influence of angry Slavic farmers, I'm, I think the angry Slavic farmers are going to have it. I think so too, but I, <laughs> I think they're going to have it every time. No, I think so too. But I do think there's going to be some idiot, maybe a handful of idiots oh, in the caucus yeah, of who are going to put up a Facebook Watch too much post. Tucker, Tucker Carlson and got into politics because they wanted to fight the good fight. Yes. I, but I just, I just think that was said, no party is a monolith and certainly not the, the conservative party is a monolith. So I have a hard time saying that that this is motivated by some sort of alt-right impulse, just because th- there are so many different pulls of power within the party. And I, I just don't think that that quite adds up for me. The math, I just don't think the math adds up for me. The only, um, the only thing I would say, Jen, I, I think you and I are more or less on the same page here, but let me just make one observation I've made about these guys, mm-hmm. uh, the, the current conservatives. They don't want any danger to them on their right flank. Uh, basically meaning the PPC. And I don't think there is any, really. No, like in really. a pragmatic sense, if isn't. if Pierre Polyev is stampeding towards an election win six, 12, 24 months from now, whatever it happens to be, the PPC voters are going to see that and they're they're gonna they're gonna hold their noses, they're gonna get on that train. Mm-hmm. So I don't think this is an electoral problem. I think it's a personality problem. I hmm. think there are people within the Conservative Party leadership who have personal animosity to some of the PPC guys, and they are going to keep the boot on their necks right through. And that might lead to them making stupid decisions. But I, given given a choice, I, this is, I really believe this, Polyev's people, given a choice between picking up 10 more ridings in moderate parts of the country by being sane or screwing Maxime Bernier out of one seat, They'll do that. And I think they're motivated out of spite, not electoral calculation. I, 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 I will withhold my judgment on that position until I see more. Aren't you being cautious? I'm always cautious. No, that's a lie. Lie. I'm definitely like not always cautious. Like and subscribe. Okay. We want to talk really, really briefly about the Canada land stuff. I don't want to make this a major issue because bluntly it isn't. It's, you got to explain that. It's the absolute epitome of internal bubble gossip bubble tea in canadian media politics circles so we kind of have to talk about it but i have to talk about it with the incredible assumption that 90 percent of our listeners are going to have no idea what in the hell i'm talking about okay and at least 50 percent of the line editors wishes he didn't know what you were talking about exactly so let's start by explaining what canada land is matt how do we explain canada land to a listener of the line um, <clears throat> Toronto-based independent media website uh, publishes written content and a series of podcasts similar, I would say, in function and form to the line, uh, older than us, more established, bigger. Um, and this is the important part, and I, I don't mean to say this unfairly, but I would say skews to the left. Yes. Um, I would also put a caveat in here that uh, I've known the founder and publisher of Canada Land, Jesse Brown, for years and years and years now. Uh, I did a podcast on the line called Oppo with Justin Ling. Mm-hmm. 
which was actually a pretty popular and pretty fun podcast, but it's that was uh, fun. I used to listen it was to a that. super fun podcast, but the lion, the Canada lands general audience hated it and hated me with a fi- the fiery passion of a thousand suns, which was also really funny. Um, you bring out the best in people. I always do. It's, it's a gift. It's a gift, Matt. Uh, anyway, so, you know, I, I, I have, I have, I have, a how should I say this? Complicated feelings toward the whole experience. I have, I have, personal affection for jesse brown i have complicated feelings for the outlet that he's built but i operate from a position of goodwill toward fellow independent Mm. go on ye christian soldier an independent media company that can build and sustain a business is a good thing for canadian journalism and for canadians great so i don't want to sit here and be shitty to other independent media right necessarily can you pause just for one second? Mm-hmm. We should probably mention as part of our explaining Canada Land to people who don't know about it, a big part of the original mission of Canada Land and Jesse Brown was independent media criticism. Okay, yeah. So we yeah. should probably also start by also explaining that part of the reason why Canada Land took off as it did was because it started out as a place for independent media criticism. Now it's branched out pretty wildly beyond there. And I think also one of the issues Canada Land has dealt with has been mission and focus creep. Mission Creep. Yep. Right now, they're doing podcasts about all kinds of things about pod about politics, about um, Thunder Bay, about you know indigenous issues, about blah blah blah. It's definitely gone beyond media criticism, and the amount of media criticism they actually do now is pretty minimal. minimal but it's still, but it's still there. So, and also, Jesse Brown has had a complicated history and relationship with many of his employees. Um, there have been many people who are coming from more marginalized backgrounds who are very disillusioned with Canada land. They felt like you're creating a media outlet that was meant to highlight and platform voices who we don't normally hear in Canadian media, and then who would often find themselves disillusioned by the way Jesse Brown personally ran his business or by some of the editorial decisions that Jesse Brown made. And like, there's a long history here and a lot of backstory here. And so as a result, most of us who are a little, a little bit more on the conservative side, even on the independent media, are kind of content to just sit back and watch the drama play out. Every once in a while, there's a periodic Jesse Brown hate on drama. Every once in a while, like uh, a, a, an internal report from Canada Land comes out and everybody shits on Jesse Brown. And this has kind of become a semi-annual show in Canadian media, if you, if you watch it. And as a result, I don't make much of an issue of it or pay that much attention to it from year to year. I left Kent Lound. I left Jesse in good in good standing, and you know I went out and did my own thing. Or should I, I mention say- you've you've declared your conflict here? I'll just say I have been a, a paid guest on Canada Land podcasts. Sure, I've known Jesse for years. Um, we don't have a we don't have a personal relationship, but I've always he's always been professional when our dealings pleasant to work with. That's a, yeah, absolutely. That's and like I I don't I don't wait I don't we're not. Buddies, I, I wish him no harm. Like that's I I, resp- no. I also I will say I respect how he has built Canada Land. I, I hope the line one day could be as large and successful. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a model. Uh, that being said, I also don't have any um, personal grudges with him in terms of how he managed me when I was working at, at Oppo. He was actually very hands off. Oppo had its own our podcast had its own production team and its own reporting structure. Jesse really wasn't involved in it or very rarely involved in it at all. Uh, so you know, he's he was always very hands-off with us. Anyway, so all of that caveating, all of that foreknowledge, you go into understanding this particular conflict. Jesse, I say Canada Land has also developed a bit of a reputation for being kind of nasty online. 
it and its followers have a tendency to attack its critics in really bad faith, mean-spirited ways that were, for a lot of people, emblematic of the worst and most liberal instincts of wokeism writ large. The Candlelanders um, are their own phenomena. Candlelanders are their own phenomenon, exactly. Yep. Um, and he's kind of built an audience and a business model that I think's fallen into the audience capture trap. Uh, and both you and I here at the line are conscious of the audience capture trap and we try really hard to stay out of it, but you know, eventually we'll probably drive our way into that ditch too. And yeah, this is why every couple trap... of weeks I publicly execute a commenter in front of everyone else. <laughs> I mean, look, the, 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 the audience capture trap basically means that when you are largely reader and subscriber funded, you, the temptation is to, um, like. produce Play the, play the hits, hits. play the, the hits. hits to provide more and more content that appears to that base because that's how mm -hmm. your incentive structures are aligned and the problem with that is that that can get you into some really really dark rabbit holes very yep. very fast as you all of a sudden more. all of a sudden if you don't feed the base you're bankrupt that's exactly right you want to you want so, to do something else or you want to take a contrary position and you have curated your own supporters to the point where they don't yeah, want that that's exactly right um and I think Jesse's definitely fallen into the, that the audience capture trap, and this became unavoidable uh -huh. when, after the Hamas attacks, uh, Jesse started to, from my perspective, very factually and very neutrally describe the anti-Semitism that he was seeing and experiencing in his community in Toronto and Montreal, and particularly. It also should be noted that Jesse Brown is Jewish, and this is well known. Um. Part of that observation, he was pointing out like synagogues that had been firebombed and pointing out, you know, the Heather Reisman posters, you know, somebody, a bunch of academics of all people have been now charged with putting up. Uh, I won't get into the, the, the details, but one of the things that he did, for example, was highlight a tweet by uh, the just the uh, Toronto Star internal ombudsman, Sri Paradkar, who had made several tweets and several follow-up tweets that really um, controversial. questioned controversial and also questioned the validity of much of what was be being claimed about October 7th. Mm -hmm. It wasn't full on the, the, the Jews are lying, but it was very much a, we don't really know what happened on October 7th. And it was like, mm, you do. Oh, oh, don't we? Don't we? Um, and I think that there were many people not just Jesse, but there were many people who said it's not, I mean, Sri Pradkar is, is within her rights as a columnist to publish whatever the hell she wants, but she had this weird hybrid role where she was not only a columnist, but she was an internal ombudsman whom minorities within the newsroom were supposed to go to, to relate their independent concerns about bias and coverage, uh, discrimination in between in the workplace, all of these sorts of issues. And there were many people who very reasonably pointed out that that to have an internal ombudsman be out on Twitter doing October 7th denialism undermined their capacity to be seen as a fair and neutral voice on behalf of potentially their Jewish co co colleagues and even their Palestinian ones or their, or their Muslim ones. Mm -hmm. And by all means, Tree, continue to write your column, say whatever you want. But that position is not compatible with the managerial role that had been carved out. And so what happened was, and again, this is internal tea of internal tea here, 
is that eventually someone got to the uh, editor-in-chief of the Toronto Stars and made this argument, uh, Anne-Marie Owens, whom, of course, you and I both know, Ammo seems to have thought that that argument was compelling, and Shri was removed from her managerial role. And instead, The role was abolished. The role was about, sorry, the role was abolished. And instead, it was kind of ported over to the union side. Mm-hmm. So now she's going to be serving in a kind of similar role on the union position in this. To my mind, that's actually a good compromise. Like that's, you're right, that bo- that role probably shouldn't exist as a managerial role. It probably is more appropriate as a union role. And now whether or not her her actions and positions make her fit for that role on the union side can be dealt internally by the union, right? I think, I think fundamentally the type of person and the type of personality who's suited to be a newspaper columnist is almost 180 degrees off the kind of personality you want in any kind of internal ombudsperson. Right. That's right. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, it, these are not, they're, compl- they're wildly incompatible. Wildly in- incompatible. As a newspaper columnist, you're supposed to have a strong opinion on the world as a, as an, as an internal ombudsman. Have an extremely open mind. Yeah. yeah. You have to, you actually actually have to have the opposite personality trait. You need to have a very open mind and be very sort of pragmatic and fair-minded about things. And I think that putting her in that role was always, well, putting her in that role was always a reflection to the height of the moral panics of 2020. Mm-hmm. And with a few years, I think it's pretty easy to see that there, there's an internal contradiction here that we were asking her to serve that wasn't that wasn't actually fair on her. So anyway, Jesse Brown writes a story about this um, under his own byline, explaining, again, going back to his his roots as a, as a bit of a media critic, he gets a copy of the internal memo by ammo explaining this move by shri of shri and he writes a piece about it anybody who isn't extremely invested in a narrative i think could read the piece as being well researched um neutral in its tone and fair in describing what has happening to shri his staff did not see it that way. Many people in the Canada land sphere seem to think that this is there was a kind of a Jewish conspiracy between Jesse and his cousin, and maybe John Kay, who knows, to oust Shri, a woman of color, from an important internal position. I think that interpretation is nuts, but okay. This all comes to a head what was it on Thursday night, Friday night, Thursday night? Uh, Thursday, I think. When the staff of the unionized and a few and non-unionized, non-unionized and non-unionized staff of Canada Land issue this anonymous statement where they basically say, I don't know, I think Robin Urbach more or less summed it up in a rather beautiful tweet. So I'm just going to quote her tweet right here, if you don't mind. Um, this is a summation, a paragraph. Hmm. Ahem, in the voice of Robin. Our Jewish boss, boss is speaking out against anti-Semitism in the wrong way. He has published misleading and targeted statements. And no, we won't elaborate or explain. Regards, Canada Land staff. That's so just what, what I, Robin sounds like. Yeah, that's exactly that right. next to her for years. That's exactly what she sounds like. I hope Robin will not be offended in any way. So look, a couple mm. problems with this. And I would come at this by saying, I actually think that there's a really wide range of positions on Israel and Palestine that a sensible person can sensibly hold. I, I totally get that. 
But if your position is that Jesse Brown talking in a fairly factual way about the anti-Semitism affecting his community is some kind of inappropriate attack or, or how should I say this, inappropriate or irresponsible approach to dealing with the reality around us, I think you're off your goddamn rocker. Um, I think you're, by saying stuff like that, you are implicitly admitting that you think firebombing synagogues and targeting Toronto Jews is a legitimate act of Palestinian resistance. And that means I think you have blurred the line between legitimate resistance and protest and anti-Semitism. And I think that for a staff to come out as they have and say, well, Jesse's been irresponsible. Irresponsible how? He's he's offered misleading statements about Shri. What statements? Which statements have been misleading? They've said in this memo, we think that uh, his actions have uh, degraded trust with our audience. What audience exactly? Why, what? how, and who? Why, how, and who? Really spell this out for me. Let's be explicit. What audience has been undermined or has lost trust in Canada land because Jesse Brown factually reported on anti-Semitism in the community? Please, please lay it out. Use short words, but they don't do that. They don't do any of that. Instead, there's just a lot of snowflake nonsensory about we are committed to pursuing rigorous journalism. You are, that's fine, but you can't tolerate the journalism of your boss. Um, the statement is incredibly weak. It's, I think, bluntly, it's intellectually and it's morally weak. I think if you look at the statement in context, the clear implication is that the staff of Canada Land are really resenting their Jew boss making statements about anti-Semitism in a moment when most of them are united in the assumption that the Jews are committing genocide in Gaza and everybody needs to be on side. I think that this, to me, I read as a statement of, of a staff that... Um, doesn't like its friends getting mad at them on the internet, on Twitter, because of their Jew boss's statements on anti-Semitism. I think is this is a staff that hasn't actually thought very hard through the implications of what they're condemning. And I think that this is a boss that is hiding behind union processes in the most facile way to try and take pot shots at their employer because they don't actually have the balls to put the name, put their names to what they really believe. I have nothing but contempt for this. I think these people are risible. I think they're losers. And I have no patience or time for any of these absolute gormless, spineless pieces of shit. If you want to go out and you want to say Canada land should be a pro-Palestinian, rah-rah um, news agency, mm. and you want to make that case, make that fucking case. Put your name on it. Come right up. If you want to come out and say Jesse Brown shouldn't be talking about anti-Semitism because it makes us look bad, have the courage of your fucking convictions. Come out and say that. But don't sit around and hide behind an anonymous statement shitting on your boss 
for his actions without having the courage to explicitly lay out what your problem is and put your name on what you think he should be doing instead. That's, you're wasting my time and you're just demonstrating what absolute fucking losers you are. You weak-headed Muppets. That's all I have to say about that. Tell me how you really feel. It's time to get down off that fence, Jen. Um, like, like, there are a lot of people in my mar- in my, my my comments when who are just like, "This is how unions operate," and I'm like, "No, no, 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 it's not. no we're not we're not talking about pay equity. We're not talking about internal working conditions. Yeah, we're not talking about legitimate grievances. That would all be legitimate grounds for their yep. union to be issues. Yep. No, no, they're trying to hide behind union processes to bully their Jew boss into shutting up. That's what's happening here. Fuck off." Fundamentally, I agree. Um, the union has every right. In fact, it has a duty to um, speak out in, in defense of the membership, either individual members or the membership collectively. And even perhaps Absolutely. as they did with some um, some non-union members having signed this, there's nothing inappropriate whatsoever with the union speaking out on workplace issues. Um, yeah, if, if Jesse's bullying wages, staff, go you know go to town on him. Yeah, no issues. Wages, benefits, workplace Absolutely. safety, cultural environment, things like that. The Absolutely. fundamental complaints raised in this letter are of an editorial nature. Yeah, that's and correct. And they should be addressed through editorial processes. And correct. I'm not asking anyone to do anything in that letter that I do not do on almost every fucking single thing I've ever written in my life, which is put my name to it. Put your name to it. And you, you don't get credit for <clears throat> virtue if you're not willing to demonstrate conviction. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You, 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 to be honest, you, you feel much more strongly about this than I do. At least I think I agree with you intellectually, but. I don't have nearly your depth of feeling on this. Um, I know I already said already that I, I wish J- Jesse Brown no no harm. Um, and I and I and Jesse, if, if if you're listening to this, I want you to know I don't mean this in any way as a personal swipe against you. This is a problem Jesse has made for himself, and that only Jesse can solve. That's correct. Um, That's also correct. Yeah, th- this is like I think Jesse again and again. I I say this as someone who's very much an admirer of of the success of Canaland. Jesse identified correctly many, many years ago. Canterland's not new. They've been around for a while. They were mm-hmm. arguably... More than 10 someone, years now, I think. Someone will probably... Yeah, I think... Didn't they recently have a 10-year ten, anniversary? Yeah, yep. So, okay. So, we'll call it 10 years. Um, and I think Jesse identified intelligently and correctly uh, two, two boxes that Canterland could tick. Generally speaking, left of center. Also, anti-institutional. We were the proud, independent guys who were going to tell the truth about the big, bad legacy media. And now, uh, to your point, there's been some mission creep away from this. But Jesse has spent a decade cultivating a left-wing audience that doesn't like institutions. Mm -hmm. And now he finds himself, by either personal circumstance or religious conviction or political conviction, being on the right, meaning politically right side of an issue, where he is seen correctly or otherwise as defending a powerful modern military and Mm -hmm. powerful, influential, in some cases, institutions and members of society. The audience that he has cultivated was always going to react badly to this. The staff he has built to serve his cultivated audience was obviously always going to react badly to this. This is a problem Jesse has made for himself and you know, I, I very much believe this is a road to hell, good intentions um, situation. 
But ultimately, you can go argue with people on Twitter as much as you want. By the way, I would ask you to stop. Um, but I was having so much fun. When I see you arguing on Twitter, it's like how I feel when a particular buddy of mine says, I think I'll have one more drink. Um, <laughs> because I have carried him home. Um, I, no, I've literally carried him home and we do not always make it with all of his shoes. Um, but I think... He, but I did have a great night, Oh, yeah. No, we, 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 a lot of laughs, some great memories. Um <laughs> Jesse has put himself in this situation. Frankly, I'm sympathetic to where he is because I, I I agree with his position on the issues here. But I think this is going to get to the point where either for him or the staff and supporters of Canada Land, this will not be tenable. And Look, Jesse should either exit or he should clean house. Because... Yeah, I, I don't. You look at this and look at this now from a managerial perspective. This letter demonstrates to me that fundamentally the editorial relationship has been broken between the owner and the employees. Publisher. I don't know if he owns Publisher, it. Sorry. I don't know the business structure of Canada. Sure. I let's, don't... let's, 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 I don't know what the, exactly what the business structure of Canada Land, and I just don't think it's relevant for the point. You, you issue a statement like this by your employees. I mean, your employees are telling you very clearly who and what they are and what they value, and it ain't you. Mm -hmm. Um. And yes, I think you're right. I think that that breaks that breaks the fundamental relationship between leadership and employee. I don't think that in a non-trust environment like that, you can have a functional working relationship. Um, and bluntly, if these people want to have some, I think their position is 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 wrong. But more than that, I think what I find so contemptible about it is that it's cowardly. If you really feel this way about Jesse, if you really feel this way, then leave. Go do it, take another job. Or better yet, leave en masse and replicate Canada land. <laughs> take his lunch. Eat Jessica's lunch. Go do it. I'll, I'll cheer you on. You know, great new independent media. Do your thing. You don't like that. But if, you if you think your value is so invested in your skills, your collective skills, then prove it. Leave. Um, go become the owner of your own thing. Go become, go captain your own ship. I'll be the first to cheer, cheer these guys on if they did that. Be doing but they don't awesome. actually, but they don't actually have the balls to do that. And we all know they don't have the balls to do that. What they have the balls to do is <laughs> bless you. Sign anonymous letters. Is sign anonymous letters, and then to expect us to cheer them on for it. I don't. No, I I, th I think me and the listeners and the viewers got that. <laughs> I, I read Wait, you loud I don't, and I don't, clear. I don't, um, I don't necessarily want to... Uh, yeah, Jesse's made his own bed. You're right. I think the only answer for him is he's got to leave. Or, he or, he's, got to, or he's got to clean house. Or he's got to shut Canada Land down, give it six months, and then start Candleland, Candlelandia or something like that. Mm, bussy. Sorry, I just coughed there. You're you choking know. on your indignation. <laughs> no, it's some... Anyway. Yeah, I, 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 I think that if he allows the status quo to operate as it is, all that's going to happen is that his staff are going to use the bully pulpit to demand ever greater moral and editorial concessions. Um, and there's only one way that goes, and it goes to damaging the fundamental brand that he's built. Which is to no one's can, interest. Which is to no one's interest. 
And I think that you've they've also demonstrated with this letter that these are not people who can be appeased on this issue or can be reasoned with on this issue. So to me, if I'm in Jesse's position, there's no good answer here, but there's really only one answer, which means there's one very easy answer. Jesse can take that as he leaves it or take it or leave it as he goes. But, um, you know, I have a lot of empathy for him as a human being. I think that any there but for the grace of God could go any of us. And I just don't think, I think he's fundamentally a very nice guy and he wants, he wants to be good to his people and his staff. And I think that that impulse will wind up eating him alive. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Oh, all kidding aside. Um, I, Jen, I hope you don't mind me airing some of our own, not even dirty laundry, just laundry. Like you and I have had business discussions about what we want the line to be. And basically my fundamental rule is that I would like it to be big. I would like it to be thriving. I would like it to be uh, making a real difference in the world. You and I, our financial aspirations for our own um, income are are generous, but not unreasonable. Like we, we don't expect we'll be retiring to the, the country anytime soon but one of the things i always say is that we keep this 100 an operation between you and me oh, 100%, and that's like, because we trust each other we yeah, fundamentally and, trust each other and who the fuck needs that bullshit that jesse's dealing with here so nobody and and also it's not to say that i wouldn't want to expand our staff and i i hope that actually in reasonable years we, we can expand our staff i would like the line to be able to do more than we're doing right now and as as our as we grow and as our income grows i think we'll be able to do that i'd like to generously pay freelancers yeah, fair enough. We could do yeah. that too. But the other thing too is I, I I also think that anybody who we would bring on board, I would want to have a really clear understanding that we tolerate all kinds of opinions. We, we do you disagree with us. That's great. You don't want to take a different editorial line than us. Absolutely fantastic. But we deal with that in a way that is collegial and professional and internal. And then no one ever gets confused about whose party this is. Yeah, exactly. And if you're a guest and we tell you to leave, you go. Well, yeah. And, and and to me, I don't think that's the only way that when you're dealing with contentious issues and you deal with a, a cultural industry that deals with contentious, contentious issues, that's the only way you can function. It's the only way to function. And, you know, I, there's also another thing that I would say is, you know, I will tease my husband and I will tease you and, you know, you guys all take it in good spirit, but you will never actually hear me trash my husband to anyone. Do you want to know why? Because it makes me look bad. Yeah. Because I'm the one who chose him. And I would say that that a version of that exists in the employer-employee relationship. You have issues. We know that there are a lot of bad employers out there. There are a lot of shitty employers. And there need to be mechanisms for people to deal with those those issues and deal with abuse and to deal with harassment and all these kinds of problems, deal with workplace problems. I'm not naive to that. I'm not like necessarily like pro guy in the top hat. All right. I do think there needs to be mechanisms in the place but you aren't making yourselves look professional or good faith when this is how you approach your internal editorial disputes. I think, yeah. And to that, Jen, I would add this. Um, I have had, unfortunately, um, front row seats that when a front row seat or even being outright on the stage or in the ring when newsrooms have gone uh, weird and something I think I grasped, and I like I don't mean to shit talk any colleagues here. I, I really don't intend to do that. I don't want to re- reopen old wounds. But one of the things I think I grasped intuitively that some of my colleagues didn't is that newsrooms, like any other functional entity, need to have a chain of command. 
Mm-hmm. And, if, and if that breaks down, it doesn't work. And what what often happens, and I 100% understand this, and I'm 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 as susceptible to it as anyone. When you like the people you work with, it can be really hard to pick one to put against the wall and shoot. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's exactly what you got to do. And when managers, either because of the um, the labor conditions or the contracts or their own personal squeamishness, are not willing to take someone they like and put them against the wall and metaphorically sh- shoot them, things can fall apart. And for what it's worth, and I think you know this about me, I love you, Jen. I'd shoot you if I had to. But, but I, Matt? The reason why we're actually partners in this because is because I'll never have to. You'll never have to. I know. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look, Jesse has to leave or he's going to have to put a few people metaphorically against the wall. And we'll, it's up to him. It's up to him to decide whether or not yeah, he's up to doing is, either look, of I those just, things. I think just temperamentally, I don't think he's going to do it. And that just means that we're just going to see more and more drama coming out of Canada land. Which unfortunately will hurt him stop. and everyone who works there. And yeah, absolutely. Is, and make and make the work environment shittier for everyone involved. And this is what makes it awful for me to have been in that situation, watching people I really valued and liked and and still friends with today struggling to get to the point where they realized that people needed to be shot because the del- every day of delay just made things worse mm-hmm. for everybody, for everybody, a good swift execution at the outset would have been in everybody's best interest because sometimes you need to remind the newsroom just because we hang, hang out in the lunchroom together. doesn't mean I'm not the boss. Unless you don't want to be the boss anymore. And if you don't want to be the well, boss anymore, I, I didn't, that's why I left here. I am. Well, and if Jesse doesn't want to be the boss anymore, he can make that call. I just hope that he's making it on his own terms. Like and subscribe. Like uh, and subscribe. I guess we're down to the point, Jen. The only other item left on the list is that, uh, and this is as much a programming note for the listeners as anything, uh, we are, this is our final podcast for 2013. Oh my if God. There's some, if there's some spectacular, did I say 2013? Yeah. Or 2023. I guess it is also our final podcast for two that final podcast for 2023 um barring some spectacular news event that we cannot help but comment on we plan on this being our final podcast and we'll reboot it obviously in the new year we'll be back we're just taking a few weeks off um we will have a written dispatch this weekend we will have a written dispatch on friday of next week uh which will mark the official start of our holidays And in the first week of January, we're going to run what will now be our tradition for that time of year at the line, which is a week of gratitude stories where uh, ourselves and some of our uh, contributors will share things that they feel good about um, for the the coming year ahead. We're we're often dour at the line. We know that Uh, we'd like to start a new year with uh, our head in the right mental uh, mental space. So we'll be doing that. But let me ask you a question and then you can ask me the same one. Mm -hmm. So, 2023. I forget what happened there. A lot of stuff. What are you going to remember from this year? Israel. Hmm. Everything before that's been a blank. Does have that feeling, doesn't? Uh, yeah. No. I. If you were to ask me that about a news story, oh. This, you pre- gotta come closer, Jen. We can't. Yeah. We can't see the, or hear the, you. The prime minister divorced. Um, yep. 
Polyev started to rise in the polls. Um, my children aged. You didn't though. You you stayed the same. Yeah, it's a little getting a little creepy in that. Uh, I worked. I got a couple chapters done on my book. Um, I was in Toronto for our event. We had our event. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what happened this year. 2023 was the year I turned 40. Okay. Which was obviously a milestone year. And it's a year um, that, especially when you're wired the way I am, leads to a lot of reflection and uh, thinking about stuff, uh, paths not taken, mistakes made, opportunities to get things right in the future. For the line, it was a great year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did great, great at the line. And, and thanks think, to you guys. Killing yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think we can't reveal too much yet, but I think we got pretty big plans for next year, uh, mm-hmm. which hopefully if we pull them off, will be uh, meaningful. Epic. Significant. Epic. Epic. Okay, well, that's setting the bar high. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, kind of wrap, I think uh, 2023, I think it was a grim year. And I just don't mean that as a guy who now has to like worry about his prostate specific antigen and bullshit like that. I mean, specifically, like at the end of 2022, Ukraine had had a great counteroffensive. Biden was sky high in the polls. We kind of felt like we were coming out of a dark chapter and maybe the post-COVID normal would be better. And I think 2023 has been a year that is generally underwhelmed. <laughs> no, we're not going to make it better. Yeah. Or we're in, in the case, as as you mentioned here, because not only do we have Israel, which you've mentioned, but. Oh, right. We haven't even talked about how Trump's going to be president next year, have we? No. We should probably no. start talking about that. I don't want to. Don't want to. Can we just um, do it after the holidays, please? Yeah. Yeah. Like and subscribe. We'll do it after the holidays. Um, You know, we've got weird geopolitical maneuvering in Latin America, which is bullshit. We don't read night right now. We've had um, the entire Persian Gulf region through which the world depends on for energy is a shooting gallery these days. Russia is reconstituting its military, I think, faster than the Ukrainians can destroy it. The Russians and uh, their allies are outproducing us in critical munitions, which is depressing. I'm going to have a column about that early in the new year, mm-hmm. gathering my notes on it. Um, as dour as I can be, I am not by nature defeatist. In fact, I'm almost anti-defeatist. Like, I'm... Does, doesn't matter how... Into, into how fine a paste you grind me i will get back up just to flip you off but this has been a tough year like i had hoped maybe there would be uh more to be uh optimistic about at the end of this year uh without commenting on whether or not it's good or bad obviously a, a significant year politically in this country as well just a lot of big changes uh, the polls are a bit bumpy right now. We've had three federal polls out, one of which shows a big swing in the Liberals' favor, two of which don't. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to read that. I think we're going to have to wait a couple of weeks and see what direction that goes in. But I think my main takeaway from 2023 in terms of Canadian politics is, oh my God, what a shitty array of options. Uh, when I look at the challenges that are arrayed against us and the people who are the most likely in different circumstances to be asked to do anything with them. I want to leave the country. It's. I come. Yeah. Yeah. You come. yeah All of our American it. listeners. If you see Matt and I blink three times, it means come get us. 
I don't think the U.S. is where we should go. Where should we go? Don't know yet. Working on it? Taking Work, the... Working on it really hard. Working on working on like uh, the lines, plan B. <laughs> the line B. Line B, line C, line D, uh, line like E. like the Enterprise. It's like the Enterprise naming conventions, right? Yeah. At 1701 dash something, line dash. I think... Um, one of the one of the interesting stories that's been popping out, and this is funny. Listeners may have noted. Uh, I look a little worse for wear this week. Uh, sorry, viewers may have noticed this. Um, I, being now in my forties, I went through for a, a battery of physical tests and medical tests uh, just to make sure everything was fine. And one of the things that was flagged was that apparently sunscreen does matter. Um, and I was de- uh, delinquent about that as a younger youngster, and I had a, a series of uh, minor skin issues, none of which were cancerous. But a series of which my dermatologist said, this is the sort of thing we don't want to ignore. And the choice was basically we monitor it regularly until it becomes a problem or we just get rid of it. And I said, fuck it, get rid of it. Having gone through one healthcare system crashing pandemic again, I don't want to assume that in five years when one of these things under under my skin might have been coming a problem, I don't want to assume the healthcare system's going to be in any shape to do anything about it. So hmm. If we can get rid of it now, let's just do that. So I got carved up real nice uh, this week. And as I was, I was, you know, it's not fun. I had like 15 needles in my face, which is about as much fun as that sounds like. Um, and also that that really refreshing olfactory sensation of your own flesh burning as they cauterize it. And I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. I smell like my own barbecue. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm really glad I'm doing this. And I'm really glad I'm doing this because my faith in the Canadian healthcare system's ability to deal with me if I get cancer in the next five to 10 years is zero. And we've had a series of news stories out in recent weeks, and you would have seen them of people. The plus either... side, your, your, your faith in getting access to MAID is 100%. People dying in ERs, no doctors available to see them, people getting diagnoses and immediately electing for MAID because they know there's no reasonable prospect of of medical care my friend uh oh, my people very... getting getting their own local care passed off because they went to bellingham for for chemo and then were cut off from the local system my friend uh my very dear friend sapria devetti has been very open in recent months about uh the death of her husband this summer mm-hmm. from cancer and i don't want i don't want to get too too into the details of that that's a personal story for her to tell but she has told parts of it on air when his situation was medically hopeless it was almost impossible to get pain management for him. Oh, good. And I think the healthcare system is in a situation where it's, I think most people will continue to receive adequate care. But I think what's going to happen is that the number of people who just get totally fucked by it, instead of being one out of every million, it might become one out of every thousand. And then it might become one out of every hundred. And then it might become one out of every 50. Well, happy Christmas to you too, Matt. Hey, it's you know what? Like I said before, you cannot grind me into a paste fine enough that I quit. What I do is I plan. I go, huh? Okay. Well, this isn't working. What's plan B or C or D or E? Noted. Well, maybe we'll talk about more of that about that in our gratitude essays. My gratitude essay is going to be about Getty Lee. Okay, my gratitude essay is going to be about the readers of the line. Can I? Can I express my right? Can I do that? Can I express a really nice love hug? 
in writing terms to the readers of the line. I say we put that in our final dispatch of the year. I want a Jen Gerson optimism and cheerful essay. Good. Okay. Well, I mean, that might, I might need to get a little drunk and to write that off. Have you ever written a column completely drunk before? No, not totally drunk. Although I have done a, I have done a, remember my dark gen phase. I don't know. Drunk doesn't seem to make me happy, does it? No. I think I need some MDMA or something. I have never published a column I'd written drunk without first reviewing it sober. Mm -hmm. Drunk Matt can be hilarious when he's writing. A lot of typos, but trenchant wit. There you go. Okay. On that note, we really should shut this thing down. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe to the line. 